Hi guys and welcome to the G2G Performance Podcast. Today we're talking about being a hard gainer and um, why Rory can't grow his calves and why Aiden can't grow his biceps and why I can't grow many, many body parts. I'm just bitter, that's why I'm throwing these guys under the bus. Um, we look at what it actually means to be a hard gainer, if it's really a thing. We look at some research to work out if non-response to exercise is, is really noticed or if there's always something that can be done to get you the results that you want. Um, we talk about some strategies um, for overcoming resistance to muscle growth um, and we look at both diet, we look at training um, and we try and debunk some of the myths that are out there about the tests that can identify whether or not you're likely to be a hard gainer or not. So um, yeah, please listen to the podcast. Uh, Have you guys ever found any like muscle or body part not to respond to training? Like not your body as a whole, but just any muscle group. <laughs> Rory's raising a hand. Aiden's like, not me. My calves. My calves. calves. Of course. Of course my calves. Uh, yeah, that, that one definitely. But I like, in, in hindsight of actually doing regular training on them for a long period of time, I've definitely started to notice, notice differences. But before I was just like, oh, they never grow. And I didn't do anything about it because I was just wallowing in my own self-pity, um, which was fun uh, for a while. So, yeah. I'm with you on that one. I really struggled to get calves to grow. And then for ages, I struggled to get glutes to grow. I thought I was struggling to get glutes to, glutes to grow. There was a lot that could be done there, but um, I just thought they wouldn't pick up. And then other muscles in, in, in contrast would just grow just at looking at a weight. Like I felt there was nothing I could do to stop my traps just taking over every exercise and they would just get massive really, really quickly. Um, yeah, the... In terms of ones that don't respond as fast, like definitely biceps don't. My forearms tend to dominate quite heavily. Um, and then, but like, like I can get them to grow and, and it's just one of these ones where I don't usually put a lot of effort into them because they're harder to train. So I don't attack them with the same enthusiasm, that sort of stuff. Um, the big ones would have been uh, biceps, lats, and probably hamstrings sometimes um but uh lats no they just take concerted effort and hamstrings same idea just focusing on position um and biceps are a tough one just in terms of like key angle of my um or carrying angle, I guess you call it, from like forearm or elbow joint, I do find it a bit harder, but biceps can grow. It just They're just tougher. It's tougher to feel them. Um, sometimes I can have a session where I feel them being used, and other times nothing. So, and again, you know, if kind of like tired or, or, or fed up in a training session or whatever, and just want to sort of get through it, having to put a concerted effort in to make sure that I move in the right way to feel my bicep is sometimes annoying yeah. I think I actually I, sorry I was gonna say I wouldn't say there's anything that doesn't respond you know it's just ones that are tougher I was gonna say that I was gonna be like so do you guys consider yourself to be a localized hard gainer or do you just think nah I just didn't figure out what I needed to do uh, are you a localized I mean, hard gainer and <laughs> And uh, at the time, I was like, yeah, of course. Yeah, 100% thought that. <laughs> I was like, this, they just won't grow. And then I realized uh, over time that uh, it was my, yeah, it was, it was obviously what I was doing. I wasn't, I hadn't figured out a way of 
achieving what I wanted to yet. So it was definitely more of like a, uh, but at the time I a hundred percent bought into that. Yeah. 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 Definitely. When I was much younger, when I was, I, cause I used to play rugby a lot when I was growing up and I was always the skinny guy. That was what I was kind of always tagged as. Um, and for me, for me playing rugby, that's got kind of a negative connotation when you're playing rugby, you don't want to be the skinny guy. Like you, you want to be the guy who's powerful, strong, can break through tackles or just smash people. Um, and so that, that definitely, I think probably fed into that feeling of like, I'm a hard gainer because I'm like, I'm a slimmer person generally. So it's like, yeah, I think that's, that's partly where it embedded itself. And then uh, I was like, ah, oh, this, this makes it easier for me to understand why this is happening <laughs> than trying to figure it out. So I'm just going to attach my, attach this, uh, this thing to it that I find it hard to gain weight. But in, yeah, over time, I realized that wasn't really the case, but yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, I guess kind of same, right? I um, struggled to put on any appreciable mass um, from 14 to 1920. Like it kind of it began to change uh, between like 19 and 20, probably about 20. It's quite a long time, six years of just like chipping away. Um, and in retrospect, you can see the things that, that didn't go too well and it change when I began to sort of lift heavy and, and definitely eat more and, and pay more attention to that. Um, so it was kind of classified as a hard gainer, but then there wasn't anything specific body part wise. I was quite aware when things grew that the areas that didn't grow was because I just didn't pay the same amount of attention to them versus there being a problem with the area. Um, I just struggled to get the same joy training them as the areas that felt like they responded and were strong points like you know like i blink and my chest and glutes respond like it don't have to do much so and funny enough they're like stronger body parts some people listening might be like oh that time period though i mean that's the you know um adolescence was this puberty did puberty actually transform you like a superhero from a weakling um into you know a weakling hard gainer into a um powerful mighty easy gainer or do you think was there a difference in knowledge? Was it was it training methods? If I didn't get out the side of puberty before nineteen or twenty, then that's a wee bit concerning. <laughs> um, so late bloomer. Yeah, just just uh, behind there. It's just like no, like I mean, my my voice broke when I was fifteen or something like that. Like, and, and yes, yeah, so it was it was more just um, difficulty consuming enough food. Uh, I don't know why that's funny that my voice broke at 15. Uh, I started to imagine you were about to say my voice broke at five <laughs> or something. And it broke, I remember this specifically happening to you, like it, it broke within like, it switched in like 10 minutes. Like I didn't, like everybody had that fear that you'd be going through the kind of voice breaking period where you'd be up and down all the time. Mine just happened in like 10 minutes. It was just like, uh, and just went. I was like, wow. Um which is quite strange and after that it was uh kind of hard to think overall i do know when things change is when i began to really work on really gradual progressive overload um compound lifts and eating more that's that's really when it began to make a big big difference before then i think my nutrition was more sporadic um i did a lot of things that were unnecessary um stuff that i thought felt good i paid too much attention to magazines and and just sort of thought you know 
I do this exercise, uh, it feels good, it looks cool. Um, these guys in the magazines do it. And um, I just think of my concentration curve and things like that. Like I, I can't remember doing stuff like that. On a, you know, on a body part, they didn't respond that well anyway. Being like a concentration curling, I, I don't, I can't remember being like, right, I did 10 reps, I'll try and do 12 next week. I, I don't really remember doing that sort of stuff. I remember just sort of going in and being like, exhaustion, um, this exercise is what will get me to grow. Um, change and do a different exercise because that one will get me to grow. So this is a really controversial topic, I think, and we we put out an Instagram poll just asking people about um, whether they identify with being a hard gainer. Um, and then we made it a little bit controversial, I guess, by asking if there's a difference between being a hard gainer when it comes to building muscle and being a hard loser, um, maybe that's not the best expression, when it comes to losing body fat. So maybe being resistant to losing um, fat or being resistant to gaining muscle. Are these the same things? And we'll just share some of the results from our poll. So about almost 60%, just under 60% of people came back and said, there's no difference. These are, these are kind of the same things. This is, this is a, you know, a physiological resistance to achieving your objective. There's something happening in your body that's making it hard for you to do something and it's not, it's not your fault. So these are, these are similar things. And then just over 40% said, yeah, do you know what? Being a hard gainer is, that's a much harder situation than struggling to lose body fat. Struggling to add muscle is, is, is a far bigger challenge. So it was, you know, a, almost an even split there um you know the, the audience being quite split um and we were asking people what are your strategies if it does come to, if you are a hard gainer um and you're really struggling to add muscle what would you do and one of the really popular strategies was um it comes down to eating more calories but getting a lot of those liquid calories in the form of more fat you know so drinking oils and things to try and up your calorie intake and this was probably um the most common thing that we heard coming back. Um, so what we now want to touch on in this podcast and really delve into um, is, is being a hard gainer an actual thing? Or is it more a lack of understanding and awareness? So is this a barrier to, to your training? Is there something happening inside your body that's always going to stop you from being able to add muscle? Um, or is it really that with a little bit more thought and a little bit more knowledge, you could find a way to achieve that objective? So guys, do you have any thoughts on this initially? Um, maybe starting off with the whole losing and gaining fat versus gaining muscle idea. Are, are these similar as concepts? Um, well, I mean, generally, generally speaking, um, I think gaining, uh, gaining muscle uh, will take just a hell of a lot longer, um, generally speaking, than say losing or, uh, or gaining fat mass. Um, like our fat mass is a way of basic storing energy for then later use. So your body's really quite efficient at doing that. So it's, it's going to be, it's, it's actually kind of like an energy saving tool. Um, whereas like building muscle is, is it just takes a lot of energy. Like you, you have to fuel that to happen. You have to almost kind of force your metabolism to, to want to do that. Um, because it's going to mean then that you have to then maintain that muscle mass with then again, continuing to increase your energy intake or keeping it at the same level that you already have to support that. So from a, just a purely kind of, I guess you could call it, uh, I wouldn't say evolutionary, but like that sort of basic level you're, you're having to, um, it's comes down to a more, less efficient thing is trying to gain muscle than it is to store fat basically um 
Would that be fair to say? You guys think? Yeah, I think that sounds fair. And I think that kind of ties into, you know, what we have with about 40% and people saying actually being a hard gainer is a tougher situation. And it, it might just be because like you're saying, it's smaller increments. So if you're trying to lose fat, you might be able to see something noticeable within a week. If you're trying to add muscle, it might have to be that you're doing this for three months, six months, a year to notice, you know, as a natural athlete, um, an appreciable change. Um, so there's that longer duration. Um, and maybe also you're working against um, what is easy for your body to do um, a little bit more, um, like you said, because it's metabolically more expensive to hold mus muscle tissue than it is to hold fat tissue. I think, um, yeah, I think when it comes to the gain of muscle part, which obviously is a much slower process, and we think about typical hard gainers, um, it's going to be fair to say a lot of them start off very like lacking a lot of muscle or quote unquote skinny whatever way you want to put it um i'm sure a lot of them are people who are hard gainers are also quite tall probably as well it's just harder to have that make that muscle mass look the same sort of way on, on longer limbs so that process again the muscle is you know slow and quite takes a good bit of time to see any difference um if you're a smaller frame and you're smaller limb size and you're trying to add on muscle mass, it's, it's going to look more impactful faster. Um, and then, yeah, definitely the differentiation between gaining fat and, and losing fat is different than gaining muscle mass. What do you guys think about um, the statement, I am a hard gainer, you know, that identification with that title? Um, what are the pros, what are the cons of thinking like that? Is, is it as simple as that? You are or you aren't? Um, with whether or not you you are if you I don't think any labels are defining yourself in any sort of way is is particularly helpful. Um, also, the uh, the idea of just saying I am a hard gainer, I guess, is that you can either use that as a, a stick to beat yourself with, or else use that as a reason for not being able to gain size and and mass. I don't think it's always the exact same approach. I don't think everybody uses it as a excuse. Some people may, some people may not. However, probably in either case, uh, then you are you might fall into the the aspect of you know confirmation bias or trying to determine and show yourself that you know what I am a hard gainer. So all your stuff looks towards things the approach to hard gainers, and you may fall down a rabbit hole of looking at reasons and justification as to why you can't gain muscle mass. Um, as opposed to just really sort of seeing the forest for the trees and noticing the areas that you're not attending. And it's not that you are, you know, a quote unquote hard gainer. It's that there are areas that you need to cater, cater to and address that you aren't addressing. Um, you know, and giving yourself that label is just not particularly helpful. So we, um, in preparation for this podcast, we were looking up some of the um, typical hard gainer tests. So ways that you might attribute that label to yourself. There are tests that are described on the internet in different places that can help you understand if you're a hard gainer or not. Um, and there are some different descriptions behind them. Um, so what I'm going to do here is I'm going to throw out some hand grenades um, to Aidan and Rory and ask them what they think about each of these tests. Um, and I'm going to pick out random so that the guys don't have a chance to really um, prepare in advance. So first of all, we have uh, Rory. Uh, what do you think of the wrist and ankle test? So, you know, this is a test where you've got to see if you can fit your um, 
thumb and your um, index finger around your wrist and see if they touch or not. Um, and if they can touch, it can mean you're a hard gainer. And if they can't touch, um, it can mean that you are destined for great muscle growth. Um, what do you think of that test, Rory? Uh foolproof actually yeah it works really well um yeah i mean mine don't touch and i'm no now no longer a hard gainer i did it when i was much younger and i could touch them so that means that it must be true it's not just natural growth um <laughs> like uh, if they did this to babies they'd all be hard gainers so <laughs> so um uh, well i think um there is also another GTG coach uh, who was told he had very feminine wrists, funnily enough. And he would definitely fail this test, 100%. Uh, that was Donnie, by the way, uh, for people who know that. <laughs> she told he had feminine wrists. Yeah, yeah. But he also was, in fairness, I'll give the full story. He was told that that was actually quite good for his, like, his frame for his bodybuilding because it like tapered off nicely for his physique apparently. Right, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyone uh, who's seen Donnie will know that he does not struggle to add muscle. No, exactly, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know he'll love me saying that on the podcast for everyone to hear. <laughs> so, but um, yeah, so the wrist ankle test is a bit of a bizarre one. Um, I think it's, uh, it's not the most accurate of tests, probably as in very inaccurate. Um, and as I've said, like when, when, for me anyway, when I went through this phase of feeling like I was a hard gainer, like I, I was probably still growing somewhat um, at that stage. Like when you're younger, especially when you're skinny and you're, you're, you're teenage years to yeah, late teenage years, um, you're still growing. So I, I think using tests like that can really be implemented or impacted massively by your um, by just general growth of your body. But then also, like Aiden said himself, he just all the work he does goes to his forearms. So this test would probably not be very accurate for him. But if he did it on his bicep, then it might be more natural. <laughs> but, uh, but no, like it's it's just, it's trying to, I guess what they're trying to do there is, is use something that's very easy for people to test. But I think that's also part of the problem because it's feeding into that easy way of labeling something. Um, like it's, it's like a yes or no answer. And we know that things that have like dichotomous responses of yes or no in exercise and probably most things, maybe not physics, but in uh, other things, there's like, um, it's usually a range of responses. And so a test that's like, if you do this, this is definitely the answer. Then I would always be wary of that. Um, and also it doesn't necessarily, in, like your wrists and ankles are just, don't have a lot of muscle mass around them anyway. So I don't know why you'd use that as a particular area of measuring, therefore the rest of the muscle mass that's on your body, therefore you're immediately going to be uh, someone who's going to find it hard to gain muscle unless you're doing particular forearm training <laughs> like if you're doing wrist wrist exercises um or i don't know so yeah it's just a bit of an odd measure to use and i think it's uh it's a way of getting a quick answer for a more of a complex question I guess, um, Aidan, uh, so the next one that comes up as a way of, of forecasting whether someone might be a hard gainer are somatotypes. Now, somatotypes is the, um, 
the technical term for judging someone by body type. And you may have heard that there's three of these and there's, you know, the endomorph, the ectomorph and the, the blessed mesomorph in the middle that's just primed to be an athlete no matter what they do. Um, Aidan, what do you think about somatotypes and working out your um, propensity for, for building muscle based on that? Uh, that it is something that I could debunked a while ago and it was something people paid attention to. I have forgotten where that first came from and what that was for and then who exactly started the debunking of that but I know that it was used to try and depict how people would what, respond in terms of I was going to say in terms of respond muscle mass and fat mass wise, but that's not correct. There was something else. And anyway, since then, it's like that's far too black and white. That's far too you're here or there. And again, it's basically just another way of uh, reaffirming for people who look at these things that there's a reason why they struggle. Um, I'd be curious to know how many genuine people go to somatotypes to confirm they're a mesomorph. I'm sure there's considerably more that go to confirm they are a hard gainer or uh, they gain excess body fat, have a problem with weight gain. Um, so again, it's just a, a method that was used a while ago that has since been demonstrated and shown to be incorrect and inaccurate and not really helpful, probably more, more harm than it's worth in terms of saying, this is the type of person you are, this is how your body responds, you will struggle to put on any sort of size whatsoever and it's just your genetics and that's it that's all that's all there is to it so another one of the um the sort of tests that we have in here or the reasons for being a hard gainer that have come up and um, i'm going to throw it to rory is if someone is too insulin sensitive um or too carb tolerant you know so they can just keep burning through carbs no matter how much they eat um what do you think of that argument um yeah a little again just kind of odd um so when if you're too insulin sensitive what that would mean is that you're able to kind of shuttle um carbohydrate basically really fast into into the muscle so uh essentially then you'd always have quite a low blood glucose level essentially and then which uh it would mean that if you're able to do that then you should be able to get energy to your muscles really fast so then you should be able to use them more effectively so you should therefore probably be able to train more and then basically train harder and then usually therefore probably gain more muscle mass if you keep training so um it seems a bit odd uh argument that would be uh that you're very very insulin sensitive um would be an argument for not being able to gain muscle because it should in theory help you have more ability to gain muscle um and there's other hormones that can basically trigger muscle like muscle gain or feed into the muscle gain cascade i guess you want to call it um that is triggered by insulin so if you have more insulin you can actually help feed into that process even more so um it's it's just a bit odd because you would think it would probably be like uh the other maybe the other way around in terms of what you might think in terms of maybe being 
uh, people being like less insulin sensitive would then be hard gainers um, based on that argument. Okay, yeah. Uh, there's another one here, stomach size, uh, and I'm not even going to dignify this one. I think this one just is silly. I'm not going to ask for a formal response, but apparently people have very, very tiny stomachs, um, and that can mean that they struggle to eat enough food. But I don't even think there's a, yeah, let's not even stop on this one any longer. So coming on to the final point, I'm going to group two together. Um, it's kind of both overactive theories. So the idea that someone is always in a sympathetic nervous system state, so they're highly overactive with stress hormones pumping through their body, or the idea that someone has an overactive thyroid um, and higher levels of, of thyroid hormones within their body. What do you think of both of these, Aidan, um, as reasons for someone not being able to add muscle? Um, uh, I'm struggling a wee bit to, uh, to, to take the time to justify either of these or give a reason behind it because I think just reading them makes it sound daft anyway. So if you have an overactive thyroid, then essentially what you're doing is, 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 is chewing two calories faster than you would be without, with, with, a, with a standard thyroid. Uh, and sort of same idea when it comes to sympathetic nervous, sympathetic nervous state, then you are overly stressed cortisol levels are really high and so you are going to be going and burning through muscle mass rapidly find it hard to put on i suppose technically you just always in a catabolic state because your stress hormones are so high i mean the difference really uh from what i remember when it comes to differences in under overactive thyroid it's like a 10 percent difference it's it's not hugely significant it's not significant enough to stop you from making progress uh far far from it and i feel like being in a you know a overly heightened um state when it comes to your nervous system or of fight or flight so you're always in a state of stress which is essentially what that's referring to um is coming from the sort of same elk as uh, adrenal fatigue it's just, you know, I don't know if you visited um, any hospitals and asked them how many times people were admitted from struggling to gain muscle mass from being in an overly heightened arousal state that they'd say, yeah, all the time. I mean, just join the adrenal fatigue line. It's, it's grown by the day. I feel like, you know, it's probably just not a common thing and it's, it's something that doesn't tend to happen. Um, could you be in a um, heightened state of arousal constantly? Yeah. Um, you would probably realize it. You know, you probably would eventually get to the point that you wouldn't be sleeping, um, that you would maybe even have a nervous breakdown after a long period of time. So I feel like the other, there'd be other key indicators that that was a bit of a problem. I don't think you'd sort of be standing there going, I'm struggling to gain muscle mass. Do you think that maybe... You know, I'm, my, ner my nervous system is overly stimulated and I'm in a fight or flight response. Um, I feel like there would be other indicators to show and that would maybe be the last of your, or least of your worries at that point would be whether you get a muscle mass or not. <laughs> Sorry, we that, such a dry, sarcastic response. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's true though. I think it cuts to the 
the point the point that is important here and it's these things can have an effect like obviously we do know you know that cortisol is catabolic and we'd say to someone if you really want to do well with your training try and manage your stress try and sleep well and you know that would affect these things because it does lead to better training but is any of these factors in itself big enough to completely eliminate any chance of growth um probably not and not over a very long period of time maybe like over a week you have a week where you're not very anabolic because you're super stressed your training just goes out the window and you're not sleeping but over a year like like you're saying you would realize that you were not in a good place um and do something about that hopefully um and look after yourself so each of these things as a justification or as a reason why you might struggle to gain mass in themselves are are kind of weak. They're, 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 they're weakly related to some things that might be happening in your body and might make things a little bit more challenging, but they're not enough to um, completely stop you from being able to make any progress, even given your best intentions with the most sophisticated training protocols on the planet. So there, there are other things at play. So what we're going to look at now um, and move on to discussing are what are the key factors that do come into play um, when you're trying to gain weight um, in the form of muscle mass, not, not just, just fat mass, um, if you do find it hard. And we're going to look at some studies um, as well where people investigate whether or not hard, being a hard gainer is actually a thing or whether there are some things that can be done to ensure that everyone starts to see some progress um, in the right direction. So, what, guys, what do you think? What are some of the key factors um, that come into play when trying to gain weight? Um. From for me, from my own experience of doing it and of going through that uh, and breaking down those barriers, it was definitely particularly uh, food was the biggest thing for me. So my nutrition was was definitely the biggest aspect. Um, particularly uh, if I was like under probably under stress or that sort of thing, then I would. Uh, or if still to this day, I probably do the same thing. But it's now at least I'm aware of it. But uh, previously, if I did, it was under stress, um, then I would almost forget to eat because I was just busy or um, and that wouldn't be a priority for me. And I didn't really put the two and two together that if that happened on a regular basis, that, uh, that would that would lead to basically um, a net loss <laughs> in muscle mass over time because I'm not fueling it. I'm not giving my body the, the tools that it needs to actually build that new new muscle fibers. So for me, it was definitely trying to, um, definitely realizing under eating and trying to combat that and notice, bring the awareness to it firstly, that that was what was happening. Uh, and then putting strategies in place, which I guess what we'll come on to a little later of how to, how to understand how to then fix that. But from, yeah, from, from my aspect, it was definitely more of a food and, and nutrition and understanding that I was under eating due to stress. So I think it may be interesting at this point just to touch in on some of the um, some of the research that's been done and some of the studies that we were discussing. And um, the research doesn't necessarily just focus in on being hard gainers, so struggling to gain muscle. It talks about exercise non-responders in general. Um, and some of the studies were looking at endurance training. Some of the studies were looking at strength training, and some of the studies were looking at um, typical kind of 
muscle growth or, or hypertrophy training. And they were trying to work out in each of these studies, um, and they're, they're not completely modern, 2017, um, if non-response was a genuine thing, if there were people just out there who wouldn't respond to anything that you were doing. And I think interestingly for me, in some of the endurance studies, they found that there was a dose um, dependence. So, you know, they took a, a group of people and they gave them training for six weeks. Um, they gave some people one session a week, some people two sessions a week, some three, four and five. And they found that the number of non-responders um, to this type of training in the group that were training once a week was quite high. You know, it was like 69% of the people didn't respond. In the group where people were training twice a week, it lowered, which is kind of what we'd expect, 40% of the people non-responders. And then in the people training three times a week, there was only 29% of non-responders. And maybe quite tellingly, by the time you got down to people training four or five times a week, no people were non-responders. So this, even though it was endurance-based, tended to suggest that the dose of the training was quite important for whether or not someone would respond. Um, now, I'll pass it over to Aidan and Rory soon just to discuss what their thoughts are on this. But there was another study, and this was when it came to resistance-type training. So let's not look at endurance. Let's see what happened with um, you know, typical weightlifting, the thing that's going to help your muscles grow. And what's really interesting in the second study here, done in 2000, 2015 was they looked at older men and women so over 65 years old now this is a group we would expect to maybe be hormonally um and i guess more challenged when it comes to adding muscle mass we typically assume that there it's going to be dif more difficult for them to do it than a younger population and even in this study, um, they found that very, very, very few people didn't get bigger and stronger um, in response to training. So that's even within this sort of maybe what you'd think of being a very difficult po population to look at um, when, it, when it comes to trying to add muscle mass in there. Um, what do you guys think about that? Is there... Uh, is it a scale? You know, is it not like a binary thing? You're a non-responder or you're not a non-responder. You're a hard gainer or you're not. Is it that there is a, a scale there and maybe the dose is very, very important when it comes to the result that someone's getting? Uh, Aidan? Um, in terms of, no, I, I, I can't imagine that it's binary. I think if you compare that to like experience of, of watching people as they, they train or just observing how things go, that there's, um, there's usually a certain part where someone gets to where they begin to respond. Um, I guess, like logically, you could make that as a comparison to the advice that usually comes with someone who does a quote-unquote hard gainer program through SCAR, the internet, and hard gainer programs will usually be around compound lifts. Uh, focus on the compounds first off, most programs are, but that seems to be a message that's driven home a lot in terms of programs based and uh, focused on a hard gainer. So whether that's realized or not, um, you're going to accumulate more volume and higher intensities through compound lifts and likely see a response happen faster than if most of your program is dedicated towards isolation-based exercises or exercises that we've mentioned beforehand that probably aren't the, the best use of your time. So focus on compound lifts and accumulating volume, you know, increasing your sets and reps, increasing your intensities, and then you get to the point where people respond. And then usually along with that, train hard and heavy. And you know what? You're going to get hungry. It's quite hard not to. So you see they then go hand in hand and you see a response from the person. So logically, that makes sense. Um, 
And I would say that if you were to, especially like speaking or dealing with hard gainers, which we've all done in the past, or people who dedicate themselves or label themselves as being hard gainers, you focus on their training and as Rory's touch on nutrition, and you'll usually find the training is inadequate. It's the frequency isn't high enough, the intensity isn't high enough, and the volume isn't high enough. Um, and then you look and you find out what they eat, and they are very you know consistently tell you that they eat a lot. You break their nutrition down, and they eat a really big meal once a day and then it's like okay you're you are um you're missing some pretty big aspects here and some some low-hanging fruit i i think that kind of ties into um another study that was here and it's there there were some examples of people who seem to be very low responders um to some of the protocols that were followed in some of the other um papers i i mentioned and they said you know maybe are there some kind of non-responders almost to, to these protocols but there was a study done um again in 2017 um and it was uh, in the journal of physiology refuting the myth of non-response to exercise training non-responders do respond to higher doses of training and in this paper what they actually looked at was when you change the exercise protocol if you find someone that you think is a non-responder to a particular protocol and you change the protocol you find that they become a responder so this is maybe also tying into what Aidan said and that you know if you if you're on a particular style of training when it comes to your your resistance work maybe you're doing all sets of five and you're not seeing growth maybe you're someone who would respond to you know sets of 12 or higher volume lower rest changing the style of training was always able to induce response um taking people out of that that you know i'm a non-responder camp so modifying the approach for the person which is i think both Aidan and Rory have touched in on this um if someone finds that they're not getting results like look at what you're doing and think about your programming and try to change things up a little bit um so we are running out of time, so I think we, we there's a few more topics we do want to touch on here. Um, what are some of the strategies that people can use, and we've briefly touched on things like this, um, if they feel that they are not responding to their training program in the way that they'd want to, they're not getting any muscle growth, um, what could they do? What are, the, what are the big ducks to get in line before you worry about all the little tiny ducks? Ducks in a row. Ducks in a row. That's it. Oh, I even got it wrong. Ducks in a line. Ducks in a row. <laughs> I think it's, uh, it's the same thing. No, it's, no, it's not. <laughs> Damn it. Stop the recording. This is it. It's all over. I'm out. <laughs> oh, let's restart this podcast. Ducks in a row. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, what are some uh, of the big things you can do? Um, I think I think the big thing is just tracking your training like just just really tracking things uh pretty meticulously i think that's the first thing um and people miss that initially um it's it's kind of easier it's it's kind of stuff we've already touched on but by putting a label on yourself it's it's it can be an easier out than actually doing long long-term processes and as you're able to track things you'll be able to see or at least start to understand I'm doing this amount and I'm not seeing what I want. So I need to change something to get a different output. Um, And then once you start to make those changes, which will be, as Aidan said, like things like volume, things like more efficient exercises like compound movements um, or just higher intensity. So training just harder. um, Those 
those three are going to be big aspects, but when you're able to track, you'll then be able to see that changes you're making moving in the direction you want um, with regards to, say, if it is you're using just straight body mass as an index of, of seeing if you are gaining um, muscle mass. It's not ideal, but it's, it's one measure you could use. Um, and you kind of track those two things together. You should be able to then start to see some changes and then that should start break, start to give you an understanding of how plastic or how adaptable the human body is because that's what we touched on a lot today is like you're, you're able to adapt you're not set in one camp and not in the other there is a range of responses but most people are going to be in that middle response and will respond to something as laura suggested with the research so um it's pretty rare that you'll be that person who who doesn't um, either way or unfortunately it's also unlikely unfortunately that you'll be right at the top end of that spectrum where you, you just pick up a dumbbell and you start putting on muscle mass the first day you walk in a gym <laughs> there are people out there that do that <laughs> unfortunately but um most of the time we're not going to be those people sigh yeah like i would imagine that if you are someone who uh takes an interest in this in this podcast and you've labeled yourself a hard gainer it's probably because you aren't responding well right, to, to weight training or not in the way that you would hope. So it's maybe a bit of a sore point for you or it's maybe something that's quite difficult. At that stage, with most things that you find difficult, like gain some objectivity. So do not go by how you feel. It's not reliable whatsoever. You've got to gain evidence as to what it is that you're doing. So you've got to track things. You've got to create a starting point as to where am I at? Where is my nutrition at? And what really clear things am I not doing? Or is that kind of classic idea of put the, you know, sort the big rocks, put the big rocks in place? Like it's true, like focus on the main things. And once you've got those covered and you're like, okay, I know how much I'm training, how much I'm eating, then branch out from there, look at your sleep, look at your recovery. Uh, and then once you've you catered for those things and you're still not responding, then you can move to something else. But frequently the easy thing to do if something isn't going well is to assume you're an outlier and assume that there is a problem with you and there's something going on and that you have an overactive thyroid or something like that, it's dead easy to go to that solution. I think it's just quite natural for people to do. And usually it's very hard to be objective with that. Um, and actually the solution is way more straightforward than you think it is. It's just, it just takes work and it's hard like most things. I think that's actually a really good summary, pulling it all together and wrapping up this podcast. Um, I think all of Eden's points there are are great. Yeah, I mean, if what you're doing isn't working, try something new. There, you know, we think about resistance training as being this one thing, this one training style, but there's there's so many different styles within resistance training. There's so many different ways to use resistance to train, uh, and that can look at it can look like different sort of set structures. You know, the the rep structures that you're using it can look like different types of lifting. Um, if what you're doing isn't working for you and hasn't been working for a, a long enough time, try doing something different. Um, but also be careful not to try something new every week. You've got to give something time. You've got to give your body a chance to adapt to the stimulus that you're providing. So, you know, stick with something for a while before you assess whether it's working or not. And again, like Hayden said, do some objective measure of assessing. Don't just use your own eye and go, nah, this is crap. I'm not doing it anymore because it's uncomfortable and you don't like it. Have a way of measuring, like Rory said, your programming and your progress um, so that you can look back and really see whether or not a protocol has worked for you over over time. Um, 
And I think maybe bringing it back to one of the things we had at the beginning, where people said that one of the things you could do if you are a hard gainer is drink lots of oil. Um, it is important that you hit calories, that your calories are high enough um, if you are aiming to build muscle mass. But it's also very important that you have enough protein. So even if I drank 4,000 calories of oil and was over my required calorie intake, if I'm not eating any protein in that, the, the very macronutrient from which my muscle fibers are created and built, how is my body going to know to build muscles? So yes, eat enough calories, track to make sure you're doing that but make sure enough of those calories come from the raw materials that your body needs to build muscle and that is protein um so that's us finished today guys um we're going to bring this podcast into a close um if there's anything that you had here heard here today that you have an opinion on that you want some further feedback on that you'd like to um let us know your thoughts on please drop us a message you can do that um over the www.g2g-performance.com into um webpage or you can use our instagram our, our handle is at g2g-performance um, send us um, a message there if you want references to any of the research that we've talked about here today as well please also just drop us a message there and if there's anything you'd like to hear in future podcasts um, please let us know because we we want to keep this current we want to know what you guys want to hear about um, so so let us know that too but otherwise thank you for listening um, and hope you tune in next week Thank you.